0: everyone, and thank you for the download. It's Thursday, June 27th, and this is Episode 10 of the Marty Called Podcast. I'm Tim Grassi, and today I'm joined by my co-host, the Sultan of Saki. What's up, Josh? Yeah.
1: <laughs> meow, meow, meow.
0: <laughs> and fresh off some time in Orlando, Skipper Ben. How's it going, Ben? I hope we move through this episode as quickly
2: and efficiently as Disney moved guests through Star Wars Galaxy's Edge on opening day.
0: Yes, yes. Well, let's talk about uh, that a little bit later. More uh, recently, Ben just got back from a trip to Central Florida where Uh, Galaxy's Edge wasn't open there but Hagrid's Magical Creatures Motorbike Adventure uh, starring Figment was open Uh, (laughs) so you got to experience that as well as a handful of other things that you would on a family vacation so why don't you hit on some of the highlights and I think a lot of our listeners would be interested to hear your perspective on Hagrid's any insight you would have creatively operationally anything of that ilk Uh, okay so
2: the biggest highlight we had was this little place called Chicken Guy at Disney Springs and I wish I was joking sauce? here, but that place was phenomenal. I did get donkey sauce. How do you not go there and, and, and how do you go there and not get donkey sauce? I'd never had it before uh, and it was great. Although Gary Hall quickly called me out on my choice of sauces uh, right away. I can't do anything to please that guy, but. Uh,
1: That's uh, <laughs> that, that is in his wheelhouse though.
2: That very, you know, it, 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 all joking aside, it was phenomenal. I, I absolutely loved it. Uh, so. No, we got to do a lot of cool things. This was uh, really kind of a... I almost felt like it was a retro trip to Disney World. Uh, We did a lot of things that we haven't done in the last several years. Uh, This actually was the 20th anniversary of my first uh, time working out at Disney World. So uh, it was neat kind of going back and doing some of the things with my girls that they had never done before. Uh, You know, and maybe some attractions that they had done, but we just don't typically hit every time. And good thing we did hit them with all the... Rumors that might be true, might not be true, might be confirmed, might be called total BS by Disney and their blogs. Uh, Those but, you are know, really... unscrupulous rumors, very unscrupulous. Uh, but I will go on a limb and we'll just leave it at this. Uh, we thought the same thing leading into the D twenty three Expo uh, last time, and there there was some accuracy there. So that being said, I said glad we hit things like the Country Bear Jamboree, which is, uh, if I haven't mentioned it here before, my absolute favorite attraction at Walt Disney World. Uh, just something that resonated with me as a little kid that I enjoy doing over and over, uh, and doing it every trip. My daughters don't. Uh, so I did drag them in there and then the, the news, the rumor broke the next day. So, uh,
1: wait, what is your favorite attraction?
2: I love the country bear jamboree.
1: Okay. That's what I thought you said, but I thought I might have a stroke (laughs) there for a second.
2: The 100 years of magic. Uh, when, when I worked out there, that was what, two that was the 2000, 2000 or 2002. I I get it confused, but it was the time during, uh, which the cast members, uh, on their name tags, instead of having their hometowns could put their favorite thing at Disney world or at Disney on there. And my name tag, I can load a picture up to the feeds and the uh, social pages said, Benjamin country bear jamboree. So I said uh, Jessica rabbit, (laughs) (laughs) uh, yeah uh <laughs> killer joke and that really landed well
1: <laughs> wow
2: <laughs> uh so doing things like that was a lot of fun. We went to blizzard beach for the uh took the girls there for the first time uh again back when i worked there had season passes and, and
1: mindset josh b d s m
2: uh I will say we did have the Platinum Plus Pass uh, while we were out there. That was a benefit of the Disney Vacation Club for the last uh, two years. And after seeing the price hike that happened while we were out there, I have a feeling that's the last time we'll have the Disney Platinum Plus Pass. Uh, so that's good now thing priced
0: we- at Josh's new car level.
1: <laughs> I'm just, I just laughed that you. You're a DVC member. As a DVC member, tell me about it, your experience.
0: <laughs> uh, well, the,
2: we are DVC dating back to 96 So we got it when it was actually still dirt cheap uh, compared to now. So uh, And I didn't pay for it. My parents paid for it. So, uh, But my name is on there, and I get to take advantage of the DVC lounge. So uh, I get all the free Cokes and little bags of uh, Lay's potato chips that I want during my trips. That being said, uh, we did deal with some of the worst storms uh, that I can ever remember while being out there. Uh, Even at one point, we were just getting off of Expedition Everest when a rumored tornado was uh, touching down near Gary Hall's house uh and that was a daily deal uh it was about eight straight days of just massive massive storms which shut down so many attractions we did find ourselves holing up in uh areas uh many times and that also plays into the issues that they're having over at universal with uh haggard's roller coaster i know uh there's been a lot of talk about you know the, the 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 issues with it running and some people just saying that the they're using the weather as excuses and that, but the weather was insanely bad while we were out there, and especially during that first week of operation. Uh, but again, opening that, day especially was opening. Uh, was, uh, it, was tough. It was it was crazy that first week. Uh, that being said, Hagrid's Magical Creatures Motorbike Adventure starring Figment and the Tiki Birds. Um and argu- Moana. arguably, right now my favorite ride in Orlando. Uh, and maybe favorite ride anywhere. It is an unbelievable attraction. Uh, We got to do it three times while we were out there. Um, The day we went went to Universal, though, it was down for, uh, oh, six hours. Um, But surprisingly, they they worked all day to get that thing up and running, and it finally got to the point where they could load guests at 9 p.m. that night, and they extended the hours of Hagrid's that evening past the 10 p.m. closing to get people on there because so few had, rid- had ridden that day. Uh, so I, I do, you know, I, I put on my Twitter feed, I tip my hat to those guys. Read that they easily could have just shut the thing down at 7 o'clock and said, we'll do this again tomorrow. Uh, no, that but wasn't s- your
0: first tweet, though. You had said something to the opposite effect. I did.
2: I did, uh, to stir the pot between you and Derek, uh, and have some fun on there. (laughs) We don't need help Uh, with that. (laughs) Uh, no, I, I am right there though. There was, there was definitely some disappointment, uh, going on that day as the hours ticked by realizing that, uh, I probably was not going to get the ride, uh, and finding out later in that day that it was a, it was a major problem, uh, a major piece of the attraction had broke. And, uh, and knowing that they were doing everything they could to get that fixed. Uh, I did appreciate that at the end of the day. Uh, again, this is a piece I, I, I can't really speak to, you know, the, 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 what they went through with the pre-testing. I, we're going to get into it here in a minute. Did they open the attraction too early? What was the right thing to do? Should they have yes, held this yes off? Like the, uh, <laughs> well, we, if we know we, we, yeah, <laughs> they did. They did open it early, but at the same time, I did get to ride it three times. So, uh, You know i I think we'll probably get into that here starting now on on the issues that it had but end of the day from the when you actually get to go through the entire experience starting with walking through that queue uh and and getting on that ride and doing something that you've just never done before in your life and the and the way they pulled it off the way that everybody had been complaining about you know all the screen-based attractions at universal and this was their kind of big middle finger to all those complaints going (laughs) hey we can we can do the other thing too They did an excellent job with this thing uh, to the point that we're even already talking right now about trying to go back in November to a universal only trip so we can spend more time uh, in that area and and more time on that attraction and especially doing it. We did it twice at night and I did it one time during the day and the night version of that ride, there is simply nothing better in Orlando that you can ride uh, than Hagrid's when it's dark
0: outside. It's unbelievable. So you're saying you're, you're liking this ride better than forbidden journey. uh, Oh uh, yes. Okay. And I love forbidden journey.
2: I love Spider-Man. I think I even put a tweet out that day early in the day saying like, it's still a goat. I love Spider-Man this and on the Disney side, uh, you know, it's not counting necessarily things like pirates, the classics that are going to go away here very soon. Uh, (laughs) But I, uh, we've talked about it on here before. I love Flight of Passage. Uh, I, I every time I ride that attraction, I just get off with the biggest smile on my face. We did it tw- two or three times again this trip, and the same thing. I just love every aspect of that ride. It's it's just uh, such an enjoyable experience. This Hagrids is exactly on that level, if not a little bit higher. Uh, mm. With when when you get off, you are just smiling your ass off. It is so much fun
0: now one of the criticisms of escape from gringotts is that all right it was a perfectly fine attraction but as a follow-up to forbidden journey it's gonna have that comparison to forbidden journey which is a phenomenal attraction it sounds like this is what i've heard i've heard people comparing it to forbidden journey you're saying it's as good if not better uh that's that's fantastic to hear and operational issues aside i haven't heard a negative review on this ride and josh i don't know if you've heard anything either ben i'm guessing you haven't either the ride appears to be exceptional which is fantastic news as theme park fans we need to root for that yeah i did.
1: i watched a ride through on the very first day that it opened and i was blown away like mm-hmm. I, and obviously that doesn't capture the full experience but i was immediately and i'm going to get into this when i do my little rant in a bit but um it's Excellent. I mean, that's all you could say about it. It's, it's just very, it's very evident just from watching a YouTube ride through that. This is a phenomenal attraction.
2: And going back and watching the POVs uh, after being on it, I can attest that the POVs, you cannot, it does not give that feeling of the acceleration that you have seven times to that attraction. Uh, The POVs look really cool, but you feel like you are throttling up on that bike seven times throughout that ride. And it just takes your breath away. And this is, in my opinion, going back to like when, when we had forbidden journey and then, uh, Escape from Green Gods came out, and we, you know, I think for the most part people enjoyed Escape from Green Gods, but it wasn't at that Forbidden Journey level, so there was a level of disappointment uh, that came across that. I still enjoy Escape from Green Gods, but I, I definitely put it on the a tier below Universal's top attractions. This is what we were wanting back when Escape sure. from Green Gods opened. This is that thing where you're going, okay, here we go, uh, and really makes you insanely excited for what's coming next with the, you know, with Jurassic Park and whatever's coming in the future if this is how they're upping their game knowing what Disney's doing down the road uh, we're in for some really good
0: times does this make Hogsmeade the best theme park land in the world well Africa's
2: still down the road right. so um second best then <laughs> I'm waiting for the pin no <laughs> yeah, uh, good question yeah I think if you have those two rides in one section of the park uh yeah. To go with a great dining experience, to go with some really great shopping, to go with the interactive wand experiences, which my daughters uh, still love. They've done each one of those things many times, but they still love going through it and doing it, going along with even things like a butter beer, which is an iconic treat at any of the parks. Uh, you also have the Hogwarts Express, uh, you know, going in and out of there.
1: Yeah, I, I was going to say it, I want to make up- the question easier. If you if you look at the two Harry Potter lands collectively, mm-hmm. would you say that they are the best themed experience that you've ever had?
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I don't I don't think there's
1: any. I, th- I there's think it's hard to argue that, that w- w- and, and sound credible to be honest. Yeah.
0: Yep. So we're we're praising this, and I think we fast forward two months. These operational issues are over and done with, and we're left with an exceptional ride in an exceptional area. And the fans win here. But uh, having said all that, there are operational issues. Uh, Josh, I know you have some insight here. Uh, do you want to discuss beyond your perspective of the ride from a? a let's, let's let Ben talk about the ride itself, but the yeah. Operational let, let's finish Ben's
1: uh, experience, and then I want to talk some uh, a little bit about sort of the strategy differences between Disney and Universal with regard to uh, Galaxy's Edge and, and this attraction. Because I think there's some. There's an opportunity based on the fact that they open somewhat simultaneously uh, that reveals perhaps a little bit of the mindset of those that are in the decision-making positions. And that's kind of what I want to spend a little bit of time talking about.
2: Yeah, and I don't know if I have too much more to elaborate on 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 the ride itself. Again, the audio animatronics are very impressive. I had a I don't want to say I had a little worry on it, but I think, you know, we, we had some offline talks about some of the hit uh, universal audio animatronics have been hit or miss over the years. Yeah. They nailed they nailed each one of these. Uh, the thing I think I love the best about it was noticing different things each time I rode. Uh, so it does have a very high rewritability factor on there to be looking and exploring on both sides of you. The uh, indoor part of the attraction with the uh, devil's snare and the uh, free fall part. Yep. Very, very cool. Uh, the first time I did write it, one of the reasons I wrote it three times is the first time we wrote it, we did do the drop portion of the attraction and then the ride stopped for 10 minutes. So uh, we were in pitch black in the dark. They had all the sound effects still <laughs> on, but the, uh, it was pitch black and that did not set well with, uh, with uh, my kids. So they were a little, Little uh, rattled by it the first time. Uh, we did it. Uh, but to universal's credit, again, having a huge long line for it, anybody who had even the minor uh, issue with the experience, they could get back on and rewrite again. Uh, they they let us loop back around. So uh, and actually, after that part of the attraction, there's only one more section after that before the attraction's over. Uh, and so we had a great experience despite having to stop. And so once we got off, They were like, "Hey, go right over here. Get back on again." Um, And we did. And the second time we rode it, it it was a uh, perfect experience. Now, the third time I rode it, uh, we did stop one more time at the very, very, very beginning. And then once uh, we got into the first launch section that took you into Hagrid's actual hut, everything was fine the entire ride. But even though we were stopped for that one minute when we got back off, they said, "Hey, you didn't have the perfect experience. Get back over here and you can ride again." Uh, Unfortunately, my car that went into the train station was the final car to get through there before the entire thing broke down again for like a three hour <laughs> uh, uh, break. So uh, I did get back in the queue wanting to ride again. And after about 30 minutes, I just said, ah, you know what? Three times is a uh, good enough for now. And I had to head to the airport. So, uh, but the ride itself, you know, with the audio electronics, with that free fall section, uh, uh the one thing I loved the most about it was how low to the ground it is through many parts. So it just enhances that feeling of acceleration and then uh, the other thing that I think is going to be really interesting, like three, four, five years down the road, that area is really lush already yeah. uh, with greenery. Grow, right? yeah. And then once once that grows in, oh, my God, that's going to be a cool uh, cool area and a, and a really cool way to uh, go through that ride. So uh, I, I think it looks great there. I can't. I can I wish I could sit here and complain about something on the right. No, I don't really wish. I really like uh, Universal <laughs> Attractions, uh, and I love it when somebody. No, we want it to be great. That's uh, yeah, that's and the they, goal here, they did it. They they let made. Let me
1: something. ask you a question. You know, that there's a, a big perception in the world that being a pioneer in business is good, and sometimes it is. There's a first mover advantage sometimes, but but sometimes there's an advantage to not being the first mover. Um, and on that point, I want to ask you. I'm sure you've ridden Seven Dwarfs Mind Train. It, it struck me when I watched this ride through is that is sort of the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train is in some ways maybe an extremely rough draft of what Hagrid's did. And I, I wonder if, as you wrote it, do you think that Universal benefited greatly from seeing what Disney built with that attraction uh, and as Walt would say plussing it, I, I would have to say almost an exponential degree. Um, but that was my, I almost feel like obviously the theming is different, but I almost feel like. The Haggard's attraction is what the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train would have been had they actually taken it to the degree that it deserved to be treated.
2: Yeah, it's Seven Dwarfs with the gloves off. Uh, you know, they plus they, twenty
0: seconds of ride time as well, which is a big thing. Yeah, is that is that the actual? Di- it's, it's roughly fifteen to twenty seconds. And keep in mind, though, that because the uh, Hagrid's ride is all launches as opposed to a lift hill. A significant chunk of the ride time in Seven Dwarfs Mine Train is in a great scene, but that is a very slow moving scene. So you're covering a lot more terrain in yeah, Hagrid's it, than you are on Mine Train. It's right, no fi- it's, doubt about that.
2: It's five times the distance. I mean, yeah. it's it, it's a massive track to the point that I, I hadn't looked up any of the stats on it whatsoever, but I, I was wanting to see where it compared with the longest coasters in uh, the Central Florida area because it does seem like it goes on and on and on and I'm I'm I actually mean, stunned at the time difference that you just rolled off to me because um, but it, it's it, mostly it, coasters. So. Well, these
1: switched right. reversing coasters are very disorienting in terms of uh, you know track length stops meaning something when it's not a linear circuit, right? You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I'm going to say a few things about this in my little spiel, but. Uh, I definitely think when when I looked at that attraction, I see it's almost like, and I'm sure this happened. I mean, if you're in Universal and you have your creative team, what do you think they're not going to Disney? Of course, they're going to go look at what those attractions are. But I mean, I, I can almost envision in my head a creative meeting where they said, you know, go ride Everest, go ride Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, take the best things of Disney's best attractions and combine them, uh, and you know, find a way to synthesize that with our intellectual property. And this is what you get. And the end of the day. It's better. I mean, yeah. The thesis I, of my spiel is going to be Derek now agrees with Josh because <laughs> I'm, I'm, I I can't imagine him disagreeing on what I'm going to say. But this this is really it, it's an evolved version that is better than what Disney has done. They're they're getting spanked at their own game in my opinion.
2: I, I was going to say this, uh, and I did ride Seven Dwarfs after riding Hagrid's, and I do I am a fan of Seven Dwarfs. Seven Dwarfs, though, now feels like the Barnstormer Yep. With that whenever they said, you know, it's it's between Big Thunder and the Barnstormer. It's it now, way
1: on that spectrum. It is way closer to the Barnstormer. Way, than, than, yep. than Thunder Mountain. What
0: would you compare yep. this to on an in, uh, on an intensity standpoint? Rock and roller coaster? Man, it's got the thrills of rock and roller coaster.
2: That takeoff, you get that seven times in this thing. Like, Mm, but it's smooth,
1: right? So it's smooth like a steel coaster. Like, this one version. So
2: there there was that rumor out that they were having issues with it because it was so, it was rough or whatever during the testing. It's one of the smoothest things I've ever been on.
1: So, for those who don't, there's three kinds of roller coasters in the world there's wooden roller coasters, there's steel roller coasters, and then there's arrow roller coasters. And like <laughs> you know, or anything that's a derivative of an air Road roller coaster. So I look at uh, you know Big Thunder Mountain, and it's like it's in this own little category because it is a steel roller coaster technically, but it's it is not as smooth as you know what what a modern B and M coaster is or a modern Intamin coaster is. So uh, you know, I would expect that based this on the rides. This show I saw is that just
0: for Will race. Moore, by the way.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's he's a good nerd. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, I'll I'll kind of wrap up my deal because I want to hear what Josh has to say on there. But there there is just no doubt in the 12 days that we were out there, the absolute highlight of the trip, despite any operational issues, despite the extended wait we had to do it that day. There's no doubt that Hagrid's is is the best thing that we did during our time out there.
0: I have two. uh, That's a very bold statement. I have two aesthetic questions there. Besides chicken guy. Yes, besides chicken guy. Uh, (laughs) The the, Tim on his Disney high horse complaint uh, about Islands of Adventure especially was the unthemed area of Dragon Challenge. And uh, to a lesser extent, the Hulk, where you have the exposed steel. You have a little bit of that here. And I think uh, you can look over at Slinky Dog and you see the exact same thing, where you have exposed steel. And with Slinky Dog, when I wrote that the first time, I saw much what it sounds like you saw in this, is that thematically, yes, Toy Story is a lousy theme relative to Harry Potter. But if they let that get overgrown, the plantings that they did in that area look like overgrown grass, and it would hide a lot of that steel. Do you think the same thing is going to happen here?
2: One one thing to tell you, since I'm one who has seen it like come from street level of Hogsmeade,
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, unlike Dragon Challenge, where it looks like there was a roller coaster over the fence, yep. there's very little of the track that you can see from street level as is right now. Okay,
0: so. Uh, like There's no you had issues
2: when they started cycling cars to, for it to go back up. Like you could not, you had to go way out of your way to get near it, to see if a car actually went by okay. there. There's not just seeing cars flying. It's so, so, so low to the ground. Uh, the only part is the acceleration part out of the hut that goes back through that kind of uh, rock structure yep. uh, that you see a little bit over the hill right there. But outside of that, you can't see anything as you're walking around Hogsmead. So uh, your issue with Dragon Challenge has already been solved. And Good. like I said, it's it's, it's great to gr- hear. The greenery is so young and fresh that yeah, within three years, holy cow, that thing's you're, gonna, young you're, and you're fresh. not going to see anything.
0: <laughs> hey now, so Josh, what can you uh, offer as an insight on the operations that they uh, did right or did wrong here, and perhaps even at Galaxy's Edge?
1: Well, so I'm going to. At the risk of being unresponsive to your question, I'm, I'm going to take this slightly above the level of operation. On the heels of the democratic
0: away. debate, get your resume out there first.
1: <laughs> it's, more it's, scrit-
0: it's, it's more. It's this it's is it's more. This is
1: more. It's
0: sh- okay. <laughs> Maybe you missed the
1: part where Tim asked me what I had to say. <laughs> I was just going to see if you need me to get my
2: bell since you're going to be agreeing with Derek so much here. No.
1: I need to get your ball gag. <laughs> <laughs> So, what I was, what, what I, so strategically, as I watched the Galaxy's Edge opening, and I watched a bunch of people live stream from it because that was primarily who was there were live streamers and bloggers and vloggers, whatever. Uh, and then I watched uh, POV videos on Hagrids. The thought occurred to me that maybe we've been approaching our analysis of these two companies from a slightly erroneous perspective because what we've talked about a lot is the empirical quality of these new attractions. Um, And the reality of it is, I think if we're honest, both companies are actually producing pretty darn good work. There's nothing embarrassing about what Galaxy's Edge is. There's nothing embarrassing about Hagrid's. These are good, respectable creations that only big companies could create. I think they're up to the standards of these big companies and the big budgets that go with them. But where Universal is absolutely kicking Disney's ass is in the realm of controlling guest expectations. You know, Disney has D23 and they create these unbelievable, you know, they're great at presentations. They're great at, uh, you know, vaporware and, and promising things. And then it takes them forever to produce them. They launch them in bizarre ways, you know, where the lands are half open and the, the, you know, the, the keystone attraction to the whole thing isn't even there, uh, you know. Just ponderous, confusing. It doesn't make any sense from a strategic perspective, and and meanwhile they've created all of these you know lofty expectations as to what this experience is going to be uh, that that no one could ever hope to meet, and they take so long to do it that it, it that it sort of ratifies their uh, you know their promise you know it's like well god they promise it's going to be this wonderful amazing thing they did it with my magic plus they did it with galaxy's edge and then it opens and it's just not up to the level of what they said it was going to be and the reality of it is that what matters i think at the end of the day is not simply what the empirical quality of the attractions in the land are but it's the difference between what was promised and what was delivered that's what determines customer satisfaction and universal while Disney's having D23 and it's expo and everybody's there and all the bloggers are there and they've got these great presentations and they mark the, they march their imagineers on stage and they promise the world. Meanwhile, Universal is just over there being quiet. They're just, you know, sort of effortlessly creating these incredible attractions. And then they open up and people go on them and they're just surprised and delighted by these incredible experiences, which, if you were to actually, you know, use objective metrics maybe it's not any better than what Disney's doing. But the fact of the matter is, it's just a surprise and
0: a delight because there wasn't this unrealistic expectation created. So I think the one example of Universal doing that, it bit them in the ass. I think they did that with Diagon Alley and more specifically Escape from Gringotts. Diagon Alley is an exceptional themed area, but I think where they fell short in that area was the anchor attraction. And they, they did, I think sell that a little bit more than what it actually was. But wouldn't but it, you
1: agree that it, they, it seems that they learned from it?
0: Oh, absolutely. absolutely. And that's
1: the thing. And what I see Disney doing is making a strategic error in this regard, and they just continue to do it. I, I think that D23, quite frankly, is a cancer to the Walt Disney <laughs> Company, if you look at the theme park division, and people who really care about this stuff. because That reminds and, me, i got a book, Disneyland. And, and let me throw you a, a, a contrasting company, a company that has a different strategy, and that's Apple. Right, yep. You might like Apple products, you might not. It doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is that they are masters of intrigue because they don't disclose a roadmap. And that costs them a lot of money. Understand there's a lot of uh, you know, people and companies and, and sectors in, in the world of technology that want to know where a company's going before they make an investment in them. And Apple has made the strategic decision that, hey, we're not going to tell you where we're going. We're going to tell you when we get there, and then we're going to release the products. And Apple screws it up too. Don't get me wrong; I'm not mm-hmm. an Apple fanboy. You know, they re- they they announced this, and I'll give you a perfect example. In 2017, they released, or excuse me, they made a product announcement for a product called Air Power, which is going to be a derivative of a Qi wireless charging mat. So it's a wireless charging mat. cancer. Yeah, well, there was lots of jokes about the name that they chose, okay. but this was going to be a pad that you plug in, and you could charge. You could put three. Wireless chargeable devices on it any way you want, and it would automatically figure where they are, figure out where they are, align it and charge them. They never released the product. It was supposed to come out in 2018. It never did. In 2019, they finally canceled the thing. And it was tremendous egg on their face. And it's the same sort of thing that I see Disney doing. I mean, remember my remember the early days of My Magic Plus when the the value proposition was going to be that your kids can input, you know, the name of their pet into the website or the app before they ever go to the park. And then a character is going to interact with them and ask them how Scruffy's doing. None of that happened. So for, for the people who don't give a shit about the theme park world, that announcement was useless because they never heard it. But for the people who do give a shit about the theme park world, they saw that announcement and they compared that expectation to what they actually received. And they immediately deemed the endeavor to be a failure because the thing didn't live up to what they promised. And it seems to me that this is just the way Disney does things. They are so much more about the sizzle than they are about the steak that people like Derek are going to continue to be vindicated in praising universal and criticizing Disney because Disney keeps writing checks that their operations department and there will never be able to cash. And I, I, that was, I misspoke. It's not the ops people's fault. It's just the company as a whole, but, uh, to me, that that was the revelation that I saw with Hagrid. It's just, you ever watch figure skating in the Olympics? This is a weird example. Maybe it's purely related to my own subjective experience.
0: But The <laughs> thing I hear a people bunch say of is different side tangents here.
1: <laughs> when you look at people that are brilliant at something, like a like a tremendously talented athlete, they make like it look easy. And there's something. There's something inspiring about watching someone do something that's difficult and make it look easy, and you appreciate their mastery of it because they're not talking about their sweat of the brow. They're not talking about how hard they work to achieve it. It's like they just get up there, they swing the bat, and they hit it over the center field fence. And that's what Universal does. They're not talking about how hard they're practicing at spring training. I don't train. know what
0: figure skating you're watching, but there isn't a bat or a center field fence in the finger skating Look, that I watch. I will mix metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most
1: convoluted disaster that I choose to. Thank you very much.
0: And they get
2: three points. <laughs> Didn't Jeff Galouli have a bat? Yes, he did. That's true. That's Fair
1: true. Point. Uh, well played. Yeah. Oh why? Why? <laughs> <another figure> <laughs> Tanya Hardon, <laughs> look it up. <laughs> I'm not a good speller.
0: Uh, so are we going to talk about the Main Street Theater now? <laughs> yes. Yes. And, and so. Back in uh, – we were talking about this ahead of ahead of time. You mentioned My Magic Plus, which when it was announced, it was the next-gen project. I made the mistake in the old fanboys days saying we knew at the outset that that was going to be a billion-dollar project. I said, when was the last time Disney spent a billion dollars and we didn't get something cool? That was huh. a Tim Grassy quote. That didn't age well. <laughs> <laughs> i my tongue on that one. During – again, I'm going to cite fanboys things. Disney has – under Iger, announced several things, things that were ready, green-lit, etc., that just didn't come to fruition. Ben just mentioned one in the Main Street Theater, the original Fantasyland announcement, uh, Hyperion Wharf, the Flamingo Crossings uh, uh, evolution. Don't get me wrong, companies will do this all the time. Josh just cited that with Apple as well. But when it came to Galaxy's Edge, when they first announced this, uh, they were talking about things that... Anybody with two brain cells to rub together could say these are going to be operational nightmares or just not possible operationally. So the creatives can come up with it conceptually, but it doesn't scale up to... You know the 20, 30, 40,000 people that may be in the land on a sure. given day, although uh, they didn't anticipate nobody showing up for it, which uh, well, potentially yeah, helps that's, the scalability of it. But that's we're gonna have to discuss that as well. <laughs> so, let's, let's look at though, there were two different operational issues between Star Wars Galaxy's Edge and the Hagrid's Ride. But to Josh's point about building expectations we said at the outset here that we didn't like the idea of a split opening with smugglers run and rise of the resistance opening separate.
1: yeah it's very hard i think in light of what happened to suggest that we were anything but exactly correct about
0: that now having said that though what if this is the best of a bad situation where they simply couldn't open rise of the resistance in i think best case scenario is three months after smugglers run opens is this the best course of action that they could have taken or should they have delayed it for three months
1: i think they should have delayed it personally and,
0: okay. uh, and let's, what if it's six months what if it's a year what right, at well, what point do we come up with that sweet spot of like how far is too far to wait when okay 75 you know, of the land is ready
1: all right with permission to take the floor i want to i want to analyze your question
0: yeah
1: But I, I hope to be somewhat methodical First. If we go back to my original premise, if they had not created expectations that this attraction was going to be a part of the land on opening day, this problem immediately ceases to exist. And the land, it stands on its own two feet based on the ride that's there. Sure. And then it gets enhanced later. And you don't have people disappointed in the interim dates between uh, when those two things happen. So they they this is a problem of their own creation, which yep. is really the, the heart of what I was trying to articulate before, however ineffectively it might have been. Um, so that's one thing. The second thing is to decide, I think if you're going to analyze whether or not they made the right decision, you have to start by asking a simple question. That's what is their objective? And I actually you know, a lot of people might be somewhat dismissive of that question because they think it's easy. I don't think it's an easy question. I think, I think to ask what is the, what is in the best interest of the Walt Disney company with regard to opening this land is actually a very hard question. How do you measure that? Now, if you want to, if you have, there's going to be some people who are going to say it's revenue for this quarter. Sure. Okay. For those people, maybe the right answer is opening it without the second attraction. But I think there's there's counterpoints to that as well. Um, there's a very well known principle in business, which is called the Osborne Effect. It dates back to the late '70s. There was the Osborne Computer Company, and they had one of the first portable IBM-compatible computers in the world, called the Osborne One. And the CEO of the company, whose last name was wait for it,
0: is Norman Osborne, the uh, Green Goblin. Bob Osborne. I don't remember his okay. first name, but it was Osborne.
1: He said, he said, we're going to go love the Osborne One. Wait till you see the Osborne 2, which is going to come out in about nine months. Well, guess what? Nobody continued to buy the Osborne 1 because they all wanted to right. buy the Osborne 2. And that became a, a literally a term of art and business. If you go to business school, you'll learn the Osborne effect. And Disney did it to themselves because yeah. what, what you have now. So is that now the if only if,
0: reason, though? Is that really the only reason? Because I think there's about 30 different reasons why nobody's going to Disneyland right now.
1: Well, I don't know. But even if you were in the camp of people saying that we're going to open the land prior to having both. Actions. If you are a well-informed business person, you nonetheless have some basis to believe that attendance isn't going to be what you want <laughs> sure. because you're not getting the, if what Disney is selling is the experience. And if you go to any of these Imagineers, you say, what is it that you're selling? They're going to talk about experiences. They don't talk about technology. They don't talk about screens. They talk about the experience, right? Isn't that what they're all about? But this yeah. isn't the experience. They pitched this at D23 where the experience was the aggregate effect of all of these different things—the cantina, the cantina, the two attractions, the theme land, yada yada yada—then they say, "Congratulations! Now, you know, welcome everybody. It's open, except you know, 33% of it at least is not actually available to you. So, what is the value proposition to go there now? Wouldn't you be somewhat of a fool if you have any sort of planning flexibility in your travel schedule to go now instead of later? It's like they—they're just—they're fucking themselves. To well, use a yeah. technical Latin term."
2: It, it's a it's a manu- it's a manufactured problem because they exactly they, did, they didn't. And, and, and honestly, it's also on the universal side as well uh, to the opposite effect. I mean, there was no hard open date for Star Wars Galaxy's Edge on either either coast until the bookings were so lame that they they panicked and then they rushed everything and then they half ass rushed. it And I think it's actually more than more like 50 percent of the land is not open yet because of. Going back to your D23 point, all the experiences, the walking around, the interacting with, uh, you know, characters that will be around the park. None of that's going. The the, the robot, the, the, the audio, uh, androids walking around, you know, moving through the area. None of that's going. You have a ride, you have a couple food stands, and you have two shopping experiences, and that's it right now. Right. Uh, and then going to Universal, on the opposite side, they put a hard, in fact, date on Hagrid's, and they – did everything. They felt they had to open that date no matter what. And again, manufactured, they did that on their own. If they would have just left these dates floating a little bit and right. slowly rolled it out, we would not be complaining about Hagrid's right now at all. That's It would, fair. St- it would still be in soft open. It would the, still- you know,
0: the Disney announcement did specifically say, and granted this was not the announcement in 2015, this was the announcement in 2019. It did explicitly say we are opening this with one land with one attraction and the rest of the land. So, but it's, it's, here's what,
1: here's the problem. It's like, I go on a first date with a girl and I say, look, I've got a, I've got a house in Italy. I've got a mansion in Miami. I've got a private jet. I've got three Lamborghinis. And then, you know, we date for a while, we get engaged. And then the day before the wedding, I say, by the way, I've actually got a Ford Taurus. I've got one house that's in, uh, you know, uh, Orlando, uh, and all the rest of it was not true. And then yeah. we get married and she goes, well, technically, you know, he disclosed that it's like, but that doesn't yeah. change the fact that the, there was a, there was a level of expectation that was created that was simply not lived up to. And the, the sort of, you know, the retroactive correction to that, I, I don't think undoes the damage. Sure.
2: The original plan was not to open it with one attraction in, in the land. The, 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 no, absolutely when, not. When that happened, that was because management walked to that area after seeing the bookings numbers and yeah. the down attendance going, Hey, when can we get some of this open? And that and they did this to themselves. And I'm, I don't feel that sorry for them, to be honest with you, at yeah, all.
1: This is the difference between, it, it, I think. To be fair, l- let me. I'm. Mean, let me circle back. This is part of the show. Derek won't like. Disney Disney's is a We do have a other
0: listeners, by the way.
1: Public no, it's just Derek. <laughs> Derek. Derek. <laughs> it's Gary Hall and Derek. All we I was,
0: I was wondering who our two downloads
2: are every week. That's great.
1: What I was going to say is this: Look, it's it's a beautiful fiction to believe that uh, big companies can behave the way small startups do, but the fact of the matter is they can't. There's accountability to shareholders. There's all sorts of forces that that end up, unfortunately, dictating the actions of companies, and and Walt the Walt Disney Company is no exception. And neither is Universal, by the way, or nor Comcast, whatever. Um, but the fact of the matter is. That most of these companies, many of these companies, at least that become very big and successful, become big and successful because their pioneering founders have a vision that resonates with people, and they adhere with tremendous rigidity and passion to that vision. And Steve Jobs is a good example. He'll tell you he's a kind of person who, although he became extraordinarily wealthy, he trusted the fact that if he pursued what he believed to be the right vision, that the financial problems would take care of themselves. And that works for a while. Walt, same thing. Absolutely. Walt wanted to build what Walt wanted to build. And the reason that that we retrospectively say it was a great idea is because because society agreed. They Mm -hmm. pumped money into the vision that Walt had. But the problem is that companies – who are spearheaded by incredibly dynamic charismatic people are ultimately doomed to face a point in time where their inspiring, powerful charismatic leader is no longer alive. And then they have to go off on their own and be their own thing. And that that's always going to be a problem because you end up with people who like Tim went to, you know, our accountants and people like yep. me who are lawyers and people like Ben who does whatever the fuck he does. And, <laughs> they they're pursuing they're technical they're like technical stock traders they're looking at charts they're looking at graphs they're looking at business needs
0: are overriding creative and in this case operational needs
1: exactly and i think and the point where i said i wanted to be fair is it's not necessarily fair to say that that's like bad empirically but it's different than how these companies are founded. And I think that there's ebbs and flows to when these companies are primarily driven by creativity and where they're primarily driven by the technical needs of finance. And I think that Walt Disney, or the Disney company right now, the Parks Division in particular, is being steered primarily by business people. And I think that Universal right now is being steered predominantly by creatives. And I think that most of the uh, disconnect that we have in terms of our satisfaction with both of those uh, is, is a result of that.
0: I think the creative department at universal being substantially smaller means they have to answer to fewer people. It has to, uh, it it has to, there's, there's there's, the mandate uh, doesn't have, 37 different focus groups to analyze whether or yeah. not this is what we need to do. Uh, that is very productive. Having said that, though, for the most part, uh, in, in recent years, universal success has largely been tied to Harry Potter and Harry Potter alone. Without well, Harry Potter, it. they would not have the success that they currently have.
1: I agree. And this is one thing where I, I would – there's this concept in academics called superstitial learning – Superstitious learning. Sorry, where you you observe something, but you
0: take the wrong lesson away from it. And we should have a section of this show where Josh says words that Derek cannot say, or perhaps- <laughs> Well, I couldn't say it either. So to be
1: <laughs> defensive, I totally slaughtered it the first time. So I I'm not making fun of anyone. Um, you know, but I I think both of these companies have recognized that there is the potential to have great returns on their investment when they sure. inject IP into the parks. Yes, but the the correct takeaway is not that IP works. This is the first nine episodes of our show. the correct IP,
0: right? <laughs> this is the first nine episodes of our show,
1: right? Exactly. Yeah. But Pandora versus Harry Potter is not the same, right? Harry Potter is a better IP. Not if
0: from a familiarity else, standpoint, yes. From a world building standpoint, Harry Potter is. If it's better. not the best, it's it's number two to star wars from a what lends itself to a world building area so let me let me
1: ask you this this is going to be i'm i'm fishing for a quote here that either will age very well or not
0: okay we're good do at this. you
1: think <laughs> that galaxy's edge in five to ten years will be viewed as being as a successful implementation of intellectual property into a theme park as harry potter is at universal
0: it is 100 percent anchored rise of the resistance which is so we don't a, know so which is, that, is a very big thing if if rise of the resistance is not a top five attraction in the world when it opens up then harry potter will absolutely be the better implementation of it i feel of like by property. saying top
1: five you're giving yourself a lot of wiggle room. Yep, I say if top, it's a, top two if, let's say okay top two. No, that, that's, a that's, dif- no, that's a big difference
0: it is that's
2: been that's been my argument with these crowds the whole time is you're opening freaking star wars like what the, 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 it should have been 4th of July type crowds there on that opening day I don't know how you can't put this it should be number one on top of everything if, if it all played out the way it should and
0: that's that's the misconception of familiarity over quality and there are aspects of Star Wars Galaxy Jet from an art direction standpoint it is exceptional but there are flaws with Millennium Falcon and I say that with none of us having been on it there are there are complaints from people that we trust that have been on it that are legitimate creative decisions, as well as just kind of comfort decisions with that attraction. I'll play the devil's advocate on attendance levels. Um, If nothing
1: else, as Tim has pointed out offline, well off podcast, it's been bizarre.
0: Yes. Bizarre Um, is the right word.
1: But I will say that part of that, I think, and this is going to sound like I'm just sort of inflating my own. There was such an expectation that this was going to be an inaccessible place Upon opening, that I I suspect that there are a lot of consumers and potential park visitors mm-hmm. that have shied away just because their assumption was that they couldn't get in. So all I would say here, and that might not be the case. I am perfectly. LA happy Olympics
0: '84, Carmageddon, It is you can possibly lump that in with those. Yeah, it's I think a, there are other reasons. I have think. They, I,
1: in 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 a month, we'll know a lot more. That's all I would say there. If in thirty days this is still the same, then. First of all, a lot of people are going to be terminated from Walt Disney Company. <laughs> Second of all, we're, we're going to have a lot of analysis to do because it's going to be we're going to we're going to have to do analysis that's never been done because I don't think Disney never had this happen.
2: I mean, I, th- I look at it almost you know it's way different in the entertainment value of of the cost and everything, but like you know the the the, the day a movie like Infinity War comes out. Like you're thinking, I'm not going to be able to get a seat because everybody's there. But if you freaking want to be there, you're going to be there and you're going to go. If you yep. have the desire and the drive to be there. And and if this was the as big of a home run as they probably anticipated, anticipated to be, they, they're they not going to come out publicly and say it. But those pictures of like the 50 people sitting at the gate at 8 a.m. Yeah, I sweet. don't know. That's That's weak, man. That's just that they
0: are panicking, and anybody that says otherwise is delusional. Yep, agreed 100%.
2: I want to make the bold prediction right now that in five years, it will not shock me one bit if there's a re theming both done to the Millennium Falcon ride and Rise of the Resistance to go back to the original trilogy characters. I think they've made the biggest mistake in the world. I don't, I'm a a big, probably a corporate mandate. That was probably a corporate mandate. I doubt, I'm a big. Go ahead. I, I, I'm a Star Wars fan. I don't know who the hell Hondo is, but you put C3PO and R2D2 that's up a black there. Guy. <laughs> <laughs> that's so those land Rondo. He was on the. <laughs> that's even, that hell hell do Lando in that room. know, you, you oh, that's that I mean that's Lando. Yeah. Yes, uh, do anything. I for them to theme Rise of the Resistance is around Kylo Ren and Hux. I mean, are they are they kidding? You know, but if that's if Darth Vader is chasing you through this attraction, a physical, real audio animatronic Darth Vader, hey, you're talking a different story right there. But basing this around the characters that people as much as there is no connection to them. I would
0: say that you don't even need to do that.
1: I'm going to go over the top here and make a a bolder declaration. I don't disagree with you at all. I believe that Rise of the or Excuse Me. I believe that Galaxy's Edge was Disney's chance to demonstrate to the world that they are the premier creator of theme lands in the world. I don't think they did it. I, I think I think that title right now uh, is in the hands of Universal, and maybe Rise of the Resistance will transfer that. But I think right now, I, I think that Disney, for the first time probably in fifty years, is not the preeminent yep. creator of theme uh, entertainment. I,
0: I, I think right I, now it's I, Hogsmeade, I, and I think. Yep. I think right now that is where it goes and my africa bias is independent of it but let's look at let's look at the, uh, the I, love way that.
1: That. I love that that's the thing that you're Let, about
0: let's about. look let's look at how the how the two companies treat this though because these are two different approaches here universal is taking the known intellectual property taking the familiar and basically recreating it telling stories based off of it but the lands and the environments that they're creating are recreations of what we see in the movies uh the, the quotes that people were saying is like this is where they filmed the movie effectively. Um, Hmm. And Disney did something similar with Cars Land, so they're not uh, immune to doing that. But with Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, they created a new area. They didn't create a familiar planet. They created a new planet uh, for Star Wars stories to take place. The thing that I objected to with Galaxy's Edge is exactly what Ben just said, is the setting, the timing of it. They set it during... Two of the more controversial movies that they've made. Disney has made uh, two movies that were universally lauded uh, under under the Star Wars name, and two that received mixed reviews in *The Last Jedi* and *Solo*. And the only attraction that's in the land right now takes references from *Solo* in *The Hunt for Coaxium*, and then takes references from *The Last Jedi* to uh, they're going to the planet of Corellia, and. Had they said it, even in the Force Awakens timeline, you have a lot more characters that people are familiar with that are alive that can be referenced a little bit more. Uh, But I also think that there is really very little reason to have the land take place during a specific timeline. I don't think that's necessary. And they probably could have gotten away with, perhaps in a particular ride, you have Kylo Ren. In another particular ride, you have... Uh, you have Darth Vader. And I think that would work from a story standpoint, because what people ultimately want is you can't have universal continuity across a theme park land and also Mm. satisfy everybody. You
1: have pavilion at the, that's, yeah, I agree a hundred percent. I get the the title of this episode has to be unforced errors because this is another example of where Disney has, you know, it's a problem of their own doing. Yes. Um, you know, and, and we've talked about, and, and I'll give you credit for sort of coining this term on my own mind, at least, but, you know, nonlinear storytelling, yep. there, there's a hierarchy here that exists in these parks. You have, you have the park and then you have the land and then you have the pavilion or the attraction. And most people are not so discerning. Yes. There are these comic fan, you know, crazy nerds <laughs> that are going to point out any continuity. You'll have
0: stormtroopers walking around. Hey, those aren't first order stormtroopers. You are can Empire
1: never please those people.
0: That's right? not realistic.
1: Those are unpleasable people, so it's a fool's errand to try and please them. But what is a much smarter investment of your funds is to take a broader approach and and sure. you know, to paint themselves in this narrow of a corner makes no sense because that's that's what creativity is. They literally have the ability to do whatever they want. And I as I've admitted before, I'm not a Star Wars fanatic. I like the movies. I've seen them. Whatever. But I don't need to be And and the proof of Harry Potter is the proof because I've seen about 30 minutes of all of the Harry Potter movies in total. And Mm. I think that is an incredible place and I love it and I want to go back tomorrow. And that's a sign of excellent execution
0: on something where the intellectual property is independent of it. Exactly. Now, having said that, Disney has said within the opening of star wars galaxy's edge bob Chapek pointedly said that if our competition had the access to our movie based lineup they would be doing the exact same thing we're doing and that tells me that we are not going to see anything above a b-ticket attraction that's going to open that isn't tied to a movie so that, that preys on familiarity uh, over quality which we've complained about here so did they have too much confidence in what they expected the fan desire to ride the Falcon uh, as the anchor to this land? That they thought this was such a, a great e-ticket in itself that it was enough to anchor it, and that was part of what fueled the decision. They yes, said that just, yes okay. too much confidence.
2: <laughs> yeah, Yep. Yeah. But, you, you, but you know what? What hurt it more than anything, like – it is it is a big enough experience like mm-hmm. that should anchor an ex- a, a section. But for people to immediately start posting videos going, eh, it's a little bit better than Star Tours, maybe right. that That's killed it immediately. I mean, I, I hate to admit it, but on last episode, I said it looked like the thing I can do down on the road at Dave and Buster's. And unfortunately, it's much closer to that than an e-ticket experience. And Let's so say,
0: what if it's hosted by Lando and it's called Kessel Run as opposed to Smuggler's Run? Do you got a lot more buyers there? Hell yeah. Same, same, pretty much same issues with it with like, all right, still got to be the pilot, but you're this time now going through the Kessel run. So
2: I'm going to have an audio animatronic of an iconic star Wars figure in Lando Calrissian. And we're going to do one of the most legendary missions in star Wars, uh, lore. Mm -hmm. Um, Let me, let me think. Can I ask you a question real
1: quick? What the fuck is a parsec? Uh,
0: it is a unit of distance, not time, Yep, not time.
1: That sounds wrong. I thought it was the unit of volume.
0: Uh, anyway, so so oh,
2: uh, here's what here's the thing. I think that this is just the tip of the iceberg, to be honest with you. And, <laughs> and this is what should be scaring a lot of Disney fans. Uh, besides Harry Potter and Star Wars, you know, I think the next thing that that could lend itself to being an amazing world be- building experience is in Disney's pocket with a Marvel, Marvel area and building out that Marvel world. And we've seen the ideas we've seen the posters of what's coming to like DCA We're we're getting a microbrewery and Mm -hmm. we're getting a Spider-Man attractions, you know, uh, uh, tucked into, uh, it's tough to be a bug theater, uh, instead of just leveling the area and going, what can we do to build this from the ground up to make this the most immersive you know, Marvel experience possible. We're, we're getting, it already feels like it's being done on the cheap. Uh, and, and the, the thing that, I think is really scary is this is just the start of what Universal is about to start rolling out. Sure. This Hagrid's coaster, not a hundred yards from it, is going to be another roller coaster from the same company and creative team that built Hagrid's. And it's going to be based on Jurassic Park. And then down the road, you already have the level, the land leveled and cleared for whatever they're building out there. But if it's coming from the same group and and that's going through the creative process at, at process at the moment. I have a lot more faith in that stuff being amazing compared to uh, Ratatouille going in, which we know exactly what that is, to even Tron going in, which I got to see the Tron track without the building around it from the TTA. And based on just how the track looks, of of course, the the POVs and the, the feedback from Shanghai is people love it. But even that track seems very underwhelming compared to just looking at the physical track itself looks underwhelming right. compared to what I just did down it, the it road. It looks like and Hagrid is a
0: better ride, and it's open it does. two years earlier.
2: Yep. And then, you know, Guardians better be an amazing experience at, at Epcot. That better be an absolutely groundbreaking coaster. Otherwise, Disney should be shitting themselves a little bit going, yep. oh, my God, uh, we're we're really in trouble. And this is one other thing from my trip report that I noticed that I didn't bring up earlier. They're building so much infrastructure out there, the hotel rooms, the towers that are going up. There is so many rooms being built that if this stuff does not pay off, they're in a lot of trouble with with the money they're investing right now. And I I would think that uh, based on the early returns of Star Wars in in California, there's got to be a lot more panic going on in those rooms than they're leading on because they're they're building this up. I want to see the Star Wars Hotel. If people aren't paying to go into Star Wars Galaxy's Edge right now, are they going to pay the enormous fees that are being rumored to have that three-day experience in a Star Wars hotel? Because right now, it looks like that's a pretty damn bad idea to to, to keep going through with that thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's two kinds of business models, right? There's the ones where you do a relatively low but you do a huge volume and then there's the other, you know, right. which is Ford and then there's Lamborghini where you have a huge margin, but you have a very small volume. Well, what, what is that hotel? It, it seems to be precariously positioned in the middle.
0: No, it's, know, pretty you, it's pretty well, low
2: and the, volume. Well, And the thing that sucks about it is volume.
1: but the ideal volume is going to be dictated by their capacity, right? So if they're, if they have 20% volume. capacity, that's a failure.
2: Well, no, and, and, the, true, and the the thing that sucks that I the the thing I have a big issue with 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 Galaxy's Edge is when it was all announced and the the experiences you would do the rides you would do the building a lightsaber the building a droid the interacting you know buying the buying the clothes they made it sound amazing again at D twenty three without the two hundred dollar price tag for this hundred price hundred dollar price tag for that I think the price gouging on a lot of these experiences are finally. People are starting to get fed up with it and uh, sorry, there was a beep there, Um, but to hear now like the dinner show that was originally supposed to be in Galaxy's Edge was pulled to be put in the hotel, which is going to be, you know, it's being put in there because of the upcharge price to stay in there. The everyday average guest is not going to get to do that because they solve a way to, you know. Force it in there to force more money out and get more money out of the, the the consumers that experience their parks. So the the thought of they cut things just for whatever reasons, you know, that we complained about with the cantina being downsized and not having the sit down restaurant. We now know why they did it, and it's all bottom line driven, and that sucks.
0: I think there were there were operational missteps by both Universal and Disney, and this isn't a there were good people on both sides argument. This is something where. The two companies took different approaches to these things. We were praising Universal earlier about setting expectations. They set a date for the opening of Hagrid's ride, and yes, they technically met it, but they met it limping. Conversely, we're now seeing ones and twos on the touring plans observed crowds for Disneyland on uh, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. And I think it's in part because they overcompensated anticipating those massive floodings of crowds. When Star Tours opened, they had eight hour waits. When uh, the Nemo subs opened, they had eight and nine hour waits and had to extend wait times or extend uh, operating hours for that, for that ride alone. And I think they anticipated that and took a number of steps, which I think for the people that are, that are going into the land, have really improved the operations of it. And I think that does need to be praised. However, I think they didn't scale it back to the extent that they needed to once the land fully opened, where they spread out probably a couple hundred thousand people over a four-week period, which would have been those people that were in that day one opening line otherwise, where they spread those out so none of them had to wait much more than 90 minutes. In most cases, they waited half an hour. Uh, And that spread out that initial rush. But the other... Failures just from a sheer optics standpoint and what the crowds are doing is they did uh, blackout two levels of annual pass. They've already lifted uh, cast member blackouts on here. And I've said it, and people have kind of ripped me for it, I don't know that they advertise this as uh, as much as they probably should have. I think they assumed that everybody would come to it, and clearly they're not. I think they expected people to... Uh, to buy additional one-day tickets uh, if if uh, their annual pass was blacked out, and it didn't happen. And perhaps that's part of what we were talking about before with Rise of the Resistance being uh, the anchor, and people were saying, all right, I'm not going to go outside of my blackout dates just for one ride. I'm going to do it for two. And I think that, coupled with everything else, is really, really biting them in the ass. So yes, the guests that were in Star Wars Galaxy's Edge had a great time because it wasn't crowded. But at the same time, Disney is absolutely shitting themselves over how low the crowds are. Well, I- it, it, and that's that's part of the
2: problem there, though. You just said they had a good time. They didn't have a phenomenal time. And it's because that, that it was that open. was part of, that's part of the problem, like the feedback that was coming back from some of the people that, you know, they obviously wanted some influencers. They wanted people in those parks early, thinking that they were going to be going out there and doing the advertising for them. That didn't happen during that month period. There was more negative stuff coming from some of those people that I think it sure. did turn people away going, you know what, I, I think I can wait until Rise of Resistance opens it. You know, I, I've done yeah. star tours before blue milk sucks. I don't want to pay $200 for a, a, lightsaber, you know, that, that month might've done more harm yeah. than just, uh, holding the gates back and letting them all flood in and having those insane weights and insane wait times. And, uh, and and getting like, you know, people criticize Universal like they wanted to have these photo ops of these huge lines, you know, yeah, I think, and, so- I, and I can tell you they didn't want that. But I think Disney might have benefited from having that much more than what ended up happening.
1: I think that Univer- so there needed to be again, a happy meeting between those two. I, I yeah, that's inarguable. I think that's that's probably the takeaway. Yeah, I, Tibbs Rose stole my punchline there. That that that's the bottom line. <laughs> what we do it. here. These two companies took extreme approaches to this, and they both got it wrong. Yes. What, where I would say that I have a lot of, com- I'm more confident in Universal's ability to learn from that and do it better next time than I am at Disney's. Um, and that and that should be disconcerting, I think, if you're a Disney fan, because it seems that they keep doing the same thing over, sorry,
0: six, over six and over and over again. from now. Hagrid's is a better ride than Smuggler's Run by people yep. that have written it. And that's yep. that's the takeaway. And both, you know, from like an operational standpoint, uh, have comparable uh, throughputs, so it it's gonna be the demand for one relative to the demand for the other. But by all accounts, despite all the things and Ben, it sounds like the way you explained it, you didn't actually get on a full ride without interruptions, yet you still loved it as like technical
1: difficulties on day one mean
0: nothing. Yeah. yeah, technical
1: difficulties six months in are very important, right? Because that suggests some fundamental problem that can't be fixed. But uh, this is, means nothing.
2: My second ride was flawless, okay. uh, no issues at all, uh, and that was my response to the person I was talking to at Universal, where they, they 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 truly were concerned with people not getting on that attraction and it functioning the way they wanted they they wanted to run it. The articles and stuff that were coming out during that time period. Were ridiculous to be honest with you and they they truly wanted people on there um but my response to them when they were apologizing for for it not being up and running is like man i remember checking into boardwalk three years in a row and test track still wasn't open yeah,
0: yeah. like
2: like th- this stuff happens especially week of if you go to an attraction the week it opens and, and it runs 100 percent flawless you that's that's much more rare than it's unicorn what's unicorn
0: territory Exactly.
2: Right. Yep. Ironically, so, this ride
0: did have a unicorn on it.
2: It does. And, and <laughs> uh, those two audio animatronics, pretty awesome, actually, uh, for being horses. But it, it's, whenever it, I was fully prepared. I even you know, said going into that day, is like, man, we hope to ride, but we totally understand if we don't. Like, yeah. that, that shit just happens during when, when attractions first open.
1: You're also a lot more intelligent than most people who go there. And that, that's where I say controlling what? expectations. Because imagine that Universal had done it slightly different and they didn't announce an opening date. Mm-hmm. And people who go there ex- without any expectation that's going to be open, all of a sudden have the opportunity to ride. If they get to do it, it's going to be a feather in the cap, right? It's sure. this experience they didn't expect. It's they're never going to forget that. It's going to be this like really cool thing that happened to them. Uh, and uh, you know, I'll give you an example of my own life. I used to this is how I became a pilot. I used to spend a lot of time with my grandparents down in Pompano Beach, Florida, where there's a Goodyear blimp hangar. I used to make them take me over there to the airport and watch the thing land. And one day I was out there standing, climbing on the fence and the crew came out and said, hey, would you come with us? And they thought we were getting in trouble and they they offered us a ride. How'd you like to ride in the blimp? And it's just this amazing thing. And I, I it shaped my whole life because it was this thing I never expected to happen, but it did. Um, there's tremendous power in that. And the opposite is also true when you create an expectation that, hey, if you come on this date, uh you're going to be able to ride on this thing, and then you can't. You're gonna, you're gonna. It's, it's, it's punitive. People are naturally going to be upset, and they're not wrong to be upset, right? Uh, so I, you know, I think Disney screwed, or excuse me, Universal screwed that up a little bit, but I still think that you know, overall, they're a little bit better at that, significantly better at that than Disney.
0: If the ride sucked, though, we wouldn't be this forgiving. They knocked so the ride out of the- I'm sorry. If the ride sucked. That we wouldn't forgiving.
1: No, yeah. no, sort of the, sort of the baseline all, and I, I think I started my ex with both of these companies are producing quality products. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're all flawed, you, you know, engineering and design. It's all about compromise, compromise. And there's a lot of competing interests here, capacity, budget, whatever. So none of them are perfect, but I, I think that both companies are producing attractions that are, that are respectable. Sure. Um, but their, we- their presentation of them is so different. And I, I think clearly one is outdoing the other.
2: We we also live in a time right now where it's which is very unique compared to past you know attractions opening. Uh, granted, we, you know social media has been around for a while now and everything, but the the build up to like when the Tower of Terror opened, you know there were issues when it first opened. It was a little bit of a slow rollout, but we didn't have bloggers uh, and podcasters leaking blueprints you know six months in advance and yeah. repor- reporting every two seconds on this is what's going on or, or, or speculating on this or that. So those social media platforms and the access that we have now builds up our own anticipation. So it's it's our own fault sometimes when we don't get exactly what we want. Uh, we, we have that instant gratification that, that we all live in now. We all feel like we're, we have a right to certain things and this is the first time really between both attractions that, that we're kind of in this new phase. And honestly, I can tell you, obviously we saw from Disney today with uh, the way they responded on their social platforms uh and and websites to some of the rumors coming out and then from some that i've talked to at universal like they are very aware of this stuff they read this stuff they know the stuff that's going out there and they know some of the stuff's bullshit that's going out but there's not a lot they can do it because once it goes out there it spreads so quickly and there's not a lot they can do about it and at the end of the day they're the ones that just look bad because an attraction's down or something's not running the way they wanted to run on their side because we've all built our own we built it up for ourselves so much and then nobody's happy at the end of the day when things don't go exactly the way either one of us wanted to go.
0: Yep. No. Ben, I agree that the role that the internet plays now, we didn't see that in 1971. We didn't see that at any point uh, in other than the last, you know, 10 years or so really when Iger has been in control of the Disney company. But let's, uh, let's go back to the issues that we saw here. Hagrid has the operational issues that are still going on. And I think uh, Smuggler's Run has those creative issues. We kind of touched on some of the creative issues on Smuggler's Run and possible fixes for it. We've been told that additional missions are coming down the line. And I wonder if, as part of that, they maybe even tweak those missions and step away from the time setting that they've established for the land. But you you saw Hagrid's operations firsthand. Uh, I have some numbers here, and I will preface this by saying... I have a single source on this. It's a good source, but I'm more looking for corroboration here. But uh, I have a number that says opening day saw roughly 4,500 people ride Hagrid's Magical Creatures Motorbike Adventure. Oof. And this is, this is a ride that's supposed to get anywhere between 1,600 and 2,000 an hour. Uh, they were only running one of the Devil's Snare Drops. They have two of them for for throughput purposes. But between weather and just not being ready for prime time, 4,500 people uh, even if it's twice that, that's rough. But, uh, my understanding is that they have 14 total trains, uh, they're supposed to be able to run 12 at a time, but that's probably not realistic. I think, uh, eight to 10 is a more realistic number. Their goal is dispatches every 25 to 30 seconds. Now, Ben, you've seen the load area of this. Uh, are there two load areas for it? Or is it a single load area trying to load 25 to 30 seconds?
2: Single load area. And it loads like an Omnimover. You okay. have a uh, it, it, it well. I want to say Omni Mover. It loads like Forbidden Journey. So you have okay. the moving track underneath you. The car never stops itself. It comes into the station and is moving along at the same speed as the uh, little walkway that you're on. And you get right on and take off. So, so it's the like way a Ride rocket. To, uh, yes, yes, yeah. very much like Rip Ride Rocket. I can confirm six trains are running at a time right now. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to the twelve. I will say though, if they get up to the twelve. And uh, knowing, like on the technical and the infrastructure side that you guys uh, uh, love, if they actually get 12 of these going at one time on the track, you guys are going to think this is the most amazing attraction ever
0: built. It'll be very, Uh, very efficient.
2: If it's running like that, it's going to be absolutely awesome. And I would love to just. Uh, that that's when you want to take a helicopter over the track <laughs> and just watch it run one through after another. You know it, the the, the switchback part of the attraction. You never stop. It's not like Everest where you actually have right. a point where the car stops and it gives it time for the track to switch. Uh, it's all flawless. You actually go right through that. Uh, and as you're up in the air, the track moves very quickly. And if you keep looking down at the track as you're going backwards, you can see how fast that switch is. Uh, it, it, it's incredibly quick. The thing you said about the devil snare and the two drops, I did not know that. I thought it was just one. uh there two. So, so I'm guessing one's a little bit further back than the front one. The way I must have hit it the same time each, because it, it looked like I was falling at the same point each mm-hmm. time. Uh, but yeah, I guess there's one platform maybe a little bit ahead of the other one, allowing. Uh, one, I, I I don't know how that works. That's cool. I want to do a little more research on on how that uh, functions a little different. So uh, that's interesting to hear
0: so you mentioned the the very quick track switch there and perhaps that's just 11 years of coaster evolution, because there are some components here that we really haven't seen in major high-capacity coasters before. The track drop at Devil's Snare is significant, but that track switch, if you remember back in the day when Everest was first opened, they talked about how quick that track switch was, how it was revolutionary, because it was, I don't know, 80, 100 feet in the air that they did it, Um, while this is a, a track switch that's lower to the ground, if it's happening that seamlessly and you don't have a hold point. uh, Are you able to tell Ben if there is an ability to hold you there or is it on the brake run? That's uh, I can't I can't
2: I can't see where you would have a spot because it would it would have to be a pretty quick spot Mm -hmm. because uh, right past where that switches is is a spot that throttles you up to go up that uh, incline. That you you go up to the top of that and then you hear, oh, no, we've lost power. So you actually hit that spot at the top and then free fall backwards with no pause. So <laughs> and that's not very far at all from that track sw- uh the track switch area. So uh, I wonder yeah, if I, you I, don't get
0: launched before the track switch. I, I, that's that's, that's going to be.
2: Yep, that that I think that's what, what would happen is you would get past that track switch and then there would be like an emergency brake that would hit you at that launch area okay. uh, and not even take you up that hill because I can't see how you would get up that and then be able to f- stop on your free fall backwards because you're you've taken so much speed up and you're going to gain so much speed coming back down back that there's not enough distance to. Uh, to cut you off before you would get to that point where the switch is. But because Josh loves sports references uh, (laughs) that the the difference between the Everest switch and the one at Hagrid's is like me doing a hundred uh, yard dash race against Usain Bolt Uh, (laughs) with Hagrid's being Usain and me being me being uh, Everest. Obviously it's, it's uh, incredibly the, the speed between the two is, is, is quite incredible.
1: Now, when you when you say it's faster, do you mean that it actually rotates faster, or that it starts it's, to turn faster it, relative to when you cross over it?
2: It's not a rotation; it's a push right to left. Okay. So, so it's a side to side movement as opposed to a flip. Okay, and, and so it just it, it quickly moves from from right to left really fast and real efficiently. And it's not a long section; it's a pretty short section where that switches. So you're not moving a lot of track at one
0: time this is probably also a situation too where they're reinventing the wheel in so many other places in this attraction that why move away from a dual load track switch which has worked in roller coasters for 50 years and that's effectively what they're doing they're just doing it in a quicker way where it's integral to the, uh, to the operations of the ride from a bottleneck standpoint. Yeah. But no, I I think, I think we, uh, we collectively nailed it, that the, the hold point there, because every time you have a a mechanism like that, you need a way to stop the vehicle and get it to the next hold point, the next block section. Uh, so it's gotta be, there's a brake run, which is that launch, um, that, gets you to the point where you lose power, and then gravity takes you down through uh, the backwards portion. So before you're even going backwards, the track has to switch in all likelihood. Well,
2: and the two spots that we did break down uh, were both at launch points. So yeah, that sure. might be some reference there. The one thing I did find interesting that uh, it was at least up and running during my two times, but I know in the first couple of days of operation, there was a complaint that during breakdowns, there was no warning that the car was going to start at any point immediately. <laughs> and since you're actually stopped on launch points, uh, people were just, you know, shooting out of nowhere. Oh, wow. yeah. uh, and yeah. so at least on the Devil snare one, they said, you know, hold on, this car will be starting immediately. And right after that, we launched. Uh, and so that the, the, there were some funny tweets about people that were just taken out of nowhere that were relaxed, maybe even been on their phones because they were, you know, it's so long a <laughs> wait. And all of a sudden they're, you know, holding on for dear life and, and taking off down the road.
0: So, these aren't things, as far as I know, that are safety issues or anything like that. What I what was actually described to me as to reasons why they're not able to get as many trains through here are actual network issues on the trains themselves, and we're used to you know gravity fed coasters now, and Josh, you talked about uh, something as you know old school as a wooden coaster, which is basically you go up a lift hill and the energy ex- uh, expelled from that first hill. Gets you through the rest of the ride. This is so much more complicated than that to yeah. get you through this attraction now. Um, when you do that, when you create something new and use a new ride system like this, it is going to be complicated. And I've, I've been harsh on Universal for these operational issues, but i got to give them credit because they owned it. They said, look, this is not as good as we need it to be. This is what we have to do to make it better and be patient with us. They said this ride isn't going to open until midday. Yeah. So and c- they're, can they're, I comment on something you just mentioned? So there, there's two,
1: and I'm pretty qualified to speak to this. I'll try to make it make sense. There's two considerations that are not necessarily consistent with each other. The first is safety. The second is efficiency. Mm-hmm. So when you look at a, and you're exactly right, when you look at a, a coaster like Hagrid's that has multiple launches and track switches and things, obviously the, the sine qua non of that thing is that it has to be safe. So
0: what? Try that the, word again.
1: The thing without, without which you have nothing <laughs> is that it has to be safe no matter what, right? But obviously it also needs to be efficient. But the, this creates somewhat of a design challenge in that the ideal scenario Is that the logic of the computer system ensures both? So what you don't want to get yourself into a situation of having is where you have multiple trains on the track where you have to shut the thing down in order to preserve safety. Sure. Right? You want to, in other words, you have things like block brakes and you know all these different Modules of tracks, which they call blocks, you know, no, you can never have, um, what do you have to have an empty block in between each train so that no matter what happens, you can always avoid a collision.
0: It's why you can stack so many trains on space mountain. And effectively they're trying to do this with 14 passenger trains as opposed to six passenger trains. Right. But that achieving,
1: avoiding collisions is the, although it is the ultimate goal If you get to that point, you've actually failed because what you really are trying to do is ensure that you're never in a situation where you have to activate those block breaks because what you have then is an operational nightmare. So I suspect that the situation that Haggard finds itself in right now is that this thing is acting in a very fail safe way which is going to cause very low throughput and a lot of false positives with regard to stopping the ride that causes massive slowdowns and how many trains they can put through it. But they're doing that in order to ensure that no matter what kind of failure they have, they never have a collision. So what you're going to see over time is tweaks to the algorithms, <coughs> adjustments to centers, um, and those sorts of changes will improve throughput without undermining the ability to ensure that there's no collision. So I, I view this as someone who's sort of been in the process of certifying safety-sensitive equipment as this is just – it's inevitable. It, theres I don't know that there's any way around it because no matter how much cold testing you do, it's not quite the same as when you're loading the public onto the thing and you experience all of the things that happen with – normal actual large groups of human beings it's just there's not really any way to simulate that with 100 accuracy so i don't i don't look at the fact that they're having operational issues as being a problem again if in six months they're still having them yeah that's an issue when you look at uh you know one of the most beloved attractions at epcot um imagination. You know, they had the, originally the original incantation of that ride had this turntable
0: mm-hmm. where you
1: would see dream finders flying machine and figment was there. And it's very, I mean, for anyone who wrote that, you remember that. I remember that as a little kid and it was an incredible experience because there was like five ride vehicles that were synced up with this thing. And there was five identical copies of the dream finders machine. And it was a notoriously problematic part of the ride. And if you take sort of uh, urban legend as being the truth, that's probably the reason that we ended up with the crappy version of the ride that we have now is because <laughs> crappy. they never quite ironed out the issues with that. Um, so, Um, Anecdotally,
0: you know, I don't recall ever seeing that mess up, and I've probably rode that ride a hundred times.
1: I never saw it mess up either,
0: but, yes, but I certainly
1: remember thinking, I remember getting on that thing with my grandparents and riding around and going, who's moving? Is he moving? Am I moving? Are yeah, we yeah, moving? Yeah. It was just... Absolutely
0: Yeah, you want to figure out how it works.
1: It was the ultimate, it was the ultimate in storytelling in that I could not tell you where reality started and ended as compared to what I thought I was seeing. It was just unbelievably it was an incredible removal from what I perceived as being normal reality. Sure. Uh, and of course, now uh, there's a skunk smell.
2: Well, so, and I can ahead. I can say one thing on on my day where we had the six hour breakdown. Uh, I had heard that it was a safety sensor that had, uh, yeah. malfunctioned mm-hmm. and if that's what causes a six hour breakdown for it, it, it you know, uh, that's fine. None of us should be riding it. At any attraction that has that kind of a uh, issue with it. So yeah, uh, no, there's
1: two scenarios. Safety fine. sensor that malfunctions and you crash. Yeah. Bad. Safety yeah. sensor malfunctions, and you have a six-hour delay. Good. Like that's so, Those yeah. are the two options you have there.
2: And that can happen on any attraction. It just so happened to happen that day on their brand new one, which uh, enough people went and bitched about. But if that happened on Space Mountain that day, it wouldn't have been a blip on the radar.
0: Right, right. The problem is it's that, by all accounts, this was not ready for 100% operations. But no, I, I would argue
1: that any sophisticated traction never yep. will be on day one.
0: Right, nope. right. But this is at like 20%. So, Fair I enough. mean, my my comparison was, look at uh, people complaining about Smuggler's Run, that if you don't get the pilot seat, you're shit out of luck, and only 33% of the people are actually walking off enjoying it. But if over at um, Hagrid's, only 25% of the actual capacity is available, you're still winning over in Smuggler's Run. the but, yeah. but
1: see, the difference <laughs> I'm hearing is that The seats other than the pilot seat are fundamentally flawed to where it's, it's, that's that's never going to be better.
0: I wonder if there is, and again, we haven't been in the cockpit, if there's a way to, instead of having this at a 90% angle, have those panels at a 45 degree angle. Uh, Can they put put moon roofs on the uh, Millennium Falcon?
1: But let me just ask a question. How do you get that wrong? I I, I don't know. How do you get that wrong? That That's not a situation where it worked when you had a thousand, sure. you know, random people try it when you had the public and mass that it didn't, that is a fundamental ergonomic. That's like, if I went to go as everyone probably jokes, you know, I had a massive car buying fiasco over the last couple <laughs> of months, but if I went to the Honda dealership and I got in a car and the seat was 90 degrees from the steering wheel. Uh, you know that would obviously be a problem, right? That's ne- you. You would look at that and go, "Well, this is an embarrassment for the company." That never, I, I just I don't understand how that kind of problem gets through. There's so many problems that, and, and I I sort of alluded to this with Seven Dwarfs mind Train. That's a rough draft attraction. It's a it was a pretty moderate. You know, it was a a five out of ten attempt to merge a roller coaster with a dark ride. It, it, it's it's okay. It's an, it's okay. I like riding it, but it's not an Excellent embodiment of what the idea was. Where you look at Hagrid's, it's a it's a much better, much more refined embodiment of that idea. But when you look at Smuggler, Smuggler's Run, that the errors that are there, they're not excusable ones. They're ones that should have been evident from day one.
2: And that's why I'm not giving people a pass that say, "Well, wait till Rise opens." Because well, they that, are, they that might
0: be the solution though. That might be the solution. Where what if they screwed up on Rise the way they screwed up on Falcon? Well, we we should wait. We should table that. And if if that's
1: the case, if that's the case, then we're going to have to, like, rename this to, like, Marty (laughs) Quicks. Yeah, Yeah,
2: they just haven't given the level of confidence coming off that first ride that makes me. Oh, absolutely. uh, I I, I want. Don't get me wrong. I want Rise to be the most amazing ride I have ever, ever, ever been on. I want it to be that. If it's, uh, not,
1: uh, if it's not, then Imagineering exactly is going to have to eat crow.
2: And that's the problem when you have Universal doing what they're doing. And I think they might see some blood in the water right now. Oh, absolutely. I and,
1: totally agree. Absolutely.
2: And, and if that new park opens with rides on the level of Hagrid, we're going to have to start a Universal podcast. And we'll re- every once in a while talk about Disney.
1: And the thing is, there's no mercy rule in this game. No, I feel, no. I feel no. like Rise of the Resistance is bad. I feel like that is going to empower the universal people to double down and just they're go. going to go that, for the jugular.
2: They're already doing it with the Jurassic Park coaster coming out. There's, I, I, I've heard some things and we've seen some of the reports that have coming out. They, This is going to be Hagrid level, if not the next evolution of Hagrid. They're, that's my early call right now. And if I'm wrong, I'll eat crow on it. But they, they see… They see Disney week right now and we're going to have another, th- this'll be the interesting one. Cause that'll open approximately the same time as guardians. And hmm. what if the Jurassic park coaster comes out m- much more popular than guardians, oh. like th- unbelievable. And it's going to take up less real estate and do less damage to sightlines so, and a oh park that God. people, that I, building,
1: mean, that, I mean, that building. I mean, yeah. Oh my God, that building.
2: So we, we are in for an insanely interesting next two years for sure. And then over the next five years, our whole outlook on theme parks could be completely flipped on its head.
1: And I think your point is well taken because it, to be fair, realistically, we're talking about short-term stuff in the grand scheme of things. I do think that the award, if you go to, to the 30-year mark, we all owe a tremendous debt of gratitude to universal for creating competition yep. because Disney cannot rest on its laurels right now. And I don't know how this all shakes out, but I, I am confident. Kind of are, though. It, well, I mean, they, but I don't think they can keep doing it. I There's think, going to be an expiration date on this sort of lazy. Well, I, I
0: agree. I think, but like what they're doing is universal is finally pushing Disney. But at the same time, Where's the confidence level that they can do it? Where's the confidence level that uh, you're not going to get an arbitrary ask of upper management that won't allow creative people to be creative? You're not going to get uh, – uh, Scott Trowbridge came out at the 2017 D23 Expo, and he, I believe his exact words were, this makes me wet when talking about Star Wars. Which – Let's just stop there and say <laughs> thank you. Scooter. Uh, so Scooter this is this is something. Me. This is something that they are passionate about. This makes me wet. And it's <laughs> not something... So like they they can say that you know something is forced on them, something they don't want to do. You know, put frozen into Maelstrom. That's not something that necessarily is going to get Imagineers inspired. But to to create a Star Wars landing it's inspired by Star Wars to work in that universe that I'm sure thousands of imagineers absolutely love. And if they done f that up, do you have any confidence that they can do anything else? No. I mean, if if Rise of the Resistance is on par with I don't know, pick your say it's say it's on par with dinosaur, perfectly acceptable ride, but by no means the best ride on the planet, then we have a very pretty land to look at that doesn't hit on either of the, of the attractions.
1: I have confidence companies can change. And I think that if you spank Disney enough, they will eventually change. I think that the, the status quo of Imagineering right now is inconsistent with what I want them to do. Um, my hope is that that changes, but um,
2: I, I, sc- I, I'm scared that the people that are not in charge right now, are actually going to be the ones that will be in charge in two years. And this is just the start of a lot of bad decisions coming from that group.
1: Well, I mean, a lot of this comes down to consumer behavior. I mean, here's the reality of it in a capitalist world, whether you agree with that or not, it's what we have in this country. If we think it sucks, if we think that Disney's phoning it in, but despite what we think consumers in mass continue to pump billions of dollars into that company, it won't change.
0: That's right now, there are ones and twos in the crowd calendar in Disneyland after they just opened the biggest expansion in Disneyland and, history. And, That's good and, news for us because yeah. that, that is that is a voice yeah. that they cannot
1: yep. ignore.
2: Right there, there, There's no line to get into Savi's workshop by midday. There's no lines for the food stands in and around the area. <laughs> uh, it's a ghost town in sections of that park, which is baffling. Uh, yep. It's bizarre.
1: I mean, that's the it, word. I mean, that's bizarre. That's the word yeah. of the day. I think Tim came up with that in the Facebook chat, but I mean, it, it, it is. And I was looking, one of the guys in the Kingdom Cast group was posting pictures from there, and it was, you know, five ten minute waits for every attraction. I mean, this is, you know, eight, nine days in from a, the opening of a new land. I mean, and, and you, and in you the have meantime, to imagine that people are packing up the shit in their offices yeah. right now.
2: Okay, here's the funny part. You guys will shit on me because I think I'm the only guy in the world that actually genuinely has fun on this attraction. But Hagrid's has, you know, four hour waits. Fast and the Furious Supercharge had an hour wait. (laughs) It had an hour wait every day. I was there because people were coming into the parks and doing it. It's it's incredibly stupid, but there was. There was no attraction at either one of the universal parks that were walk ons by any means, Yeah, like it brought it, people in and it wasn't brought people teleport. in and they went everywhere else. There were no pictures similar to anything like we saw yep. at Disneyland. So uh, yeah, anytime Fast and Furious has an hour wait, you know, the parks are heavy.
0: You saw that effect at at Animal Kingdom when Pandora opened and by all accounts. And don't get me wrong, I like Navi River Journey a lot. But that's a single anchor attraction that boosted the Uh, wait times for other attractions in that park. Not all of them, but Kilimanjaro Safaris especially, that was within a five-minute walk from it, uh, saw wait times increase dramatically. Now, we had said, or I had said at the outset of this, that Millennium Falcon needs to be a top-ten ride. Rise of the Resistance needs to be the best ride in the world. Millennium Falcon didn't hit that top-ten ride. By all accounts, it didn't hit that. Um, The other things we saw in here, Ben, you mentioned Savi's Workshop. That still needs reservations by uh, what I could tell, but again, we're in day three of the masses being allowed into it. Oh, goodness. Right.
2: I, I could have sworn I saw Savvy stuff today that was saying that the reservations were not required. I, I could be totally wrong, but there, uh, were, there you,
0: were. You may be right. You may be right. Yeah. I think that's a self-solving problem, though. At $200 a pop, you're only going to sell so many of those to the people at the outset, and then it's going to be something where you really won't need a reservation long-term. Maybe the first few months, there might be select days on weekends where you need can it, I but-
2: Can I tell you how long the line for Ollivanders still was at both uh, sections? <laughs> of? I mean, honestly, it was, there were still lines to get into Ollivanders, and people were buying those wines. Now, granted, they're it's less than the, the price. Uh, what? They're 70 bucks now. Okay. There's they're seventy dollars. One third the price. So but, but that that and again, that's Disney causing their own problems. You yeah, know, th- yeah. there's there's nothing about any of those wands that can make me think it's worth two hundred
0: dollars. The other thing too though, that wand experience, you don't have to buy it when you go through that experience. If you go into Sabi's, you're spending two hundred bucks. It's so, two hundred bucks to get into that shop.
2: Creating their own
0: problem again. Yeah. So that's well, that's a problem. We uh, create a problem, charge for the solution. But <laughs> And, um, exactly. and, and I wonder if ultimately that softens, if they'll let people go in to, to see it, because that will be a sales pitch for it itself. But
2: it, that uh, Going back to Savvy's, I didn't even touch on this. I'm just showing how cheap they did some of the stuff in the land. It still baffles me that they don't have actors playing the role of the the uh, guy in the workshop creating the wands. It's regular cast members. Yeah. So, again, you might – have a there terrible, is a show with it,
0: but it's not but that, but that is, it's,
2: it's not an actor. It is a no. regular cast member who, depending on their own acting abilities, which some of them don't have any and how much they want to actually put into it, that you your experience might be really awesome or really, really shitty uh, compared to like Olivanders, where it's an actor in there who's going to put on a performance every time a group of people goes into that room. I can't believe that they're just putting that on a regular cast uh, merchandise cast member to do that each time.
0: I have had, I have heard nothing but positive things about Savi's, but the price point is going to stop people from going in there. And leading up to uh, my trip out there in August, I've texted a handful of people that I'm going to be out there with and said, any chance you want to buy a lightsaber so that I can watch. So what is it? I want to spend 200 bucks.
2: Is it 16 spots in that room? Something like that.
0: 12 or 16. I'm not sure what the number
2: is. $200 a pop. You can pay to have an actor in there for an hour. each hour. Don't be cheap. And that's just Disney doing again on the cheap
0: side. The other component... How many here,
1: orgasms do you have to fake before you're officially an actor? Because <laughs> um, I think my wife needs a side card.
0: <laughs> oh, butts. <laughs> the other component here is Ogus Cantina. And I, I don't think this problem is going to solve itself without expansion to it. And there's expansion pads behind it. And it's puzzling because this is 100% a money generator. And why they didn't build this out to full build out... Uh, at the outset is baffling because uh the number that I saw was two hundred some odd people capacity for the uh for the bar, which isn't small, but compare it to be our guest, which is you know probably close to five hundred um, the demand for something like this you know that the demand is gonna be there and clearly it's there uh, on opening day where this is the thing that still has the lines. And I checked when we started the show, there was no availability uh, at around 7.30 at night on Wednesday when we're recording this for the rest of the night and the park is open till midnight. So well, uh, and that's still tough, that's still tough to get into.
2: That That just goes back to just the baffling decisions they made in here because Uh, My wife and I were out there about a month and a half ago and she had never been to Trader Sam's and I wanted to take her over to it. And it was a 90 minute wait Mm -hmm. to get into Trader Sam's. Like Trader Sam's is literally uh, a few hundred yard walk away from where they built uh, Olga's Cantina. And they already know the issues they have over there and the demand for it, yet they still made the decision to go as small as they did. I don't understand what they're doing at all.
0: I think that... uh, in the case of these issues, when annual passes get lifted as uh, rise of the resistance opens and more people flood this land, August Cantina especially is going to get flooded with people. And if they don't start construction on the expansion to that yesterday, then they're wasting time. Uh, that's something that absolutely needs to be solved and can be solved with just a bigger build out. Um, huh. With, with millennium Falcon, The savior for that is I don't think you're going to see Hondo Onaka replaced as an animatronic host for the uh, for the attraction But what you can do is as we suggested angle the panels that the gunners and the engineers have to a 45-degree angle Uh, I would also recommend having an auto auto engineer auto gunner option and even an autopilot option for people to select Because there are going to be people that want the passive experience um and just to have that ability, it sounds like that option exists. If nobody's in the seat, they need to build that that logic into the seat itself so that a guest can decide, I want this on autopilot yeah, I, I and I agree. just want to watch it.
1: My grandma doesn't want to fly it.
0: Exactly,
2: exactly. And if you have the, you, have you seen the video, somebody posted a video, I'll see if I can find it and share it to the group. But somebody posted in gift form, they took a quick video of them sitting back in the engineer seat with two people who did not know how to fly it. Mm -hmm. And it was just like seven seconds of just grinding into the metal ground at the bottom of the screen. (laughs) It looked like the most. Oh, my God. It looked like. The worst experience in the world. It even got to the point where you know I go with my two little girls. I want them to have the best seats. I always want mm-hmm. them to have the best experience. And I've come to the fact uh, of realizing that... Like,
1: imagine you get a rock and roller coaster and it you like you launch it, just slams into the studio and <laughs> everyone's out. <eyes. laughs> <laughs> it,
2: it's, it's, it's on this one. I realize I'm going to have to tell my... Y'all have seats because I have to be up here to make sure we have a decent experience on this. <laughs> Daddy has to fly, baby. So, you know, that that's just a – I don't know. That's, it, 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 that,
0: you should that, have the ability to have a coup on that ride. That's really what it should be. Exactly. <laughs> I, I totally agree. Mutiny. <laughs> the gunners can take over and just fire on the old ship. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, remember, I, I'm okay with this. I,
1: I almost feel like this is a transitional version of the ride because I, I'm all about them exploring – what interactivity means and what the right way to do it is. But my, my instinct says that this is probably the pendulum swinging too far toward guest control. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I mean, uh, this is going to, I'm going to hate these words as they come (laughs) out of my mouth, but mission space, Mm -hmm. um, although I don't think it's a particularly strong attraction, I think that the way they handle interactivity is probably correct.
0: There's overrides where it doesn't affect your experience.
1: You don't miss the freaking planet that you're headed yeah. toward if, <laughs> if somebody screws up. And that is uh important.
0: I, I don't know, and again, this is still in the early stages of it, but I can't imagine that this initial um mission isn't teaching them some lessons at least, where yes. the other two missions that they come out that they've kind of teased already if those don't have alternatives to it where you don't grind at the bottom of it or they don't have an autopilot mode or if people are just like sitting on their hands and they don't touch the uh the controls for uh, a certain amount of time the rest of the people in the cabin don't have a shitty experience and that's i think how they need to take this where if somebody isn't steering left or right or up and down then then Hondo takes over, Chewie takes over. They've they've right. established that that can happen in the attraction because Chewy steers you in. So, yeah. and they, look, if,
1: you you can't be pro innovation and it completely intolerant of failure. Yeah. So I I don't think that if this is poor, you can say Disney screwed it up. But it's it what comes next? Right. Can they right. adjust it? Can they tweak it? That's what's going to be you know. And all of these things. Same thing with Hagrids. It's how do they? How do these companies respond? To the shortcomings of these attractions, and if it's good, you you say, "Look, this company did it. They shot, you know, they swung for the fence. They made an ambitious play, and it wasn't perfect, and then they tweaked it. If it stays flawed, then it's like, well, that's a problem." But uh, yeah. I'm all about them, you know. Trying to w- the needle well, will never get moved forward if all they do is take safe bets.
2: Luckily, the if this does not work out, honestly, what they can do is. Uh, That rock work looks very similar to the floating mountains of Pandora. (laughs) (laughs) Pandora (laughs) expansion. I I just... I I really... Thought of this as a joke but there is so much truth to it right now that, that is scary that you know remember all the shit that we gave them for them announcing they're going to do a, a an avatar land and pandora and like nobody cares about that nobody cares about avatar no it's nobody's favorite movie and yet when they announced they're doing galaxy's edge everybody's just going nuts all over themselves for for this expansion yet now that we have the two in reality Pandora is still amazing. Like the mm-hmm. attraction's insanely popular. The the uh, Satuli canteen people rave about the place. It's arguably the best counter service food yeah. at, at, at Disney world. You don't hear anybody talking about the food coming out of galaxy's edge and saying they have to go back and eat that every but time.
1: I've, I've said it a thousand times. I'll say it again. What makes intellectual property good is the same thing that makes theme park lands good, which is that it's gotta be a good idea. If, yeah. it, if it's something people like, it'll be successful in the form of a movie in but the form of a theme park. It's gotta be good. Yep. None, of,
2: none, of, none of us thought avatar was a good idea when they announced it and we gave sure. them so much grief. Yet the final product between the two, it's a night and day difference as it stands right now. Again, Rise Rise of the Resistance could be their flight of passage, but if it's not, and Avatar is actually the better area than Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, that's a major, major failure.
0: Both lent themselves to world building. Uh, Execution from an art direction standpoint is comparable in both. But from a creative ride standpoint... Uh, we have the anchor attraction of Pandora right now. We don't have that anchor attraction of no. uh, uh, of Star Wars yet. So it's today, yes, absolutely. Pandora is the better land. Uh, hopefully, a month from now uh, or two months from now, when Rise of the Resistance opens, we are changing and they've stepped up from even Pandora.
2: I really hope I don't get off Millennium Falcon and go. Eh, it's a little bit better than Naviru.
1: Yeah. yeah. How (laughs) stressed are you right now if you're on Rise of the Resistance, like a lead on that team? Uh, Oh, my God. No pressure, but don't but screw this up.
2: But even the early stuff that they've come out with, like, yeah, I know Derek and Tim have that bet on e-ticket about the audio animatronics in there. And for them to, you know, the people who saw the early uh, section with the uh, with the Stormtroopers, they're like, yeah, two or three of them maybe move. That scares mm-hmm. the crap out of me. Like, all 50 of them should be
1: moving. <laughs> what, was the, what was the threshold for you to win that, Tim?
0: So the there's two, <laughs> there's two bets going on right now. You're going to lose. <laughs> there needs to be... Uh, uh, the lands need to open within six months of each other, uh, okay. which I will likely win. You, you got that one. That one's that one's two dinners, and for, let's be honest, Derek is going to avoid <laughs> me until O'Hana <laughs> closes and re- is replaced by a moana themed restaurant. No, it'll be, it'll be a Buzz your restaurant. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Corliss reported that sure. today. Um, the other bet is 100 total animatronics in the land. And no, you're above, lose that one. Buddy. They're at about 15 right now, but if you think about it... Have you defined like, animatronic? That, that's that's part of my argument. But, I can lawyer this for you. I will represent you in this. If you think about it, a ride like Little Mermaid has probably 100-plus animatronics in it. They're not complicated. And that's what I'm. Ooh. That's what I'm anticipating yeah, your from a, is going to be hard to defend. from a stormtrooper yep. thing. <laughs> if, if you've got a, if you've got seventy five stormtroopers and all they do is tilt their head or raise their hand, is then the teddy rex spin an
1: animatronic? In all because Absolutely.
0: <laughs> it uh, better be, <laughs> but I, I need a major assist from Rise of the Resistance, which has always been what I anticipated. That this that this was going to have at least one scene that is loaded with stormtroopers, and that by all accounts for what we've heard so far, is the loading area. How many dinners stationary. would you buy
1: me if this is worse than Superstar Limo? <laughs>
0: that will be hard to do.
2: <laughs> hey, t- Tim is counting the shaking pod racing engine at uh, Rondo's Raps or <laughs> I, I did throw that
0: out there. <laughs> yes. uh, there is a discussion over on WDW Magic right now of what constitutes animatronics. <laughs> and we've eliminated the Ronto Roaster shaking thing, although I think that's a push for me. <laughs> uh but there, oh, there's wow. a
1: bit- I, I love <laughs> T- standards are slipping because of this because of this gambling problem.
2: <laughs> I, I, I honestly want to go through uh, uh, Little Mermaid now and count 20 audio animatronics in it because
0: I mean, no. not everything is not everything is aerial, but that is a pretty animatronic heavy interaction. <laughs> well, so uh, we- there's a so lot of I, moving parts there.
1: Let me let me uh, let me solidify my close friendship with Derek here. <laughs> if we're calling them audio animatronics. Any animatronic that doesn't include audio does not meet that definition. Yeah, that's that's fair. So you're you're saying there's going to be 100 (laughs) motorized... I think you're fucked on this one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I,
0: I'm... Okay, the fact that it doesn't include audio was never part of the discussion. It's but that is autotropic. the problem with an audio-automatic, they, right? They effectively need to be a figure that moves. A a humanoid or droid figure is effectively... A humanoid, animal, or droid figure is effectively what we're doing. I'm
1: firing you as a client. I'm going to
0: represent Terrico on this way. <laughs> Uh, really what it comes down to is, that, is there a stormtrooper scene with all the stormtroopers moving? You're basically saying,
1: I'm married to a redhead, but she does not have red hair. <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> it's a very difficult position to maintain for a long.
0: It, it comes down to, if, if the stormtroopers move, then I have a much better chance than if there's no stormtroopers that move.
1: All right. I, maybe I can represent you both. I don't know. I'll have to check the canons of ethics. But if I can bill you both, that seems fine.
0: <laughs> this all <laughs> seems fair. <laughs> To push. I think on that note, on me, and let's be honest, I'm way ahead on Derek because he just he throws out bets that I never actually made and calls them wins for himself. So uh, he's getting <laughs> way too many freaking mentions on this show. It's
1: hard to argue with that strategy,
0: though. <laughs> it's a flawless attitude. That seemed like the way to do it. <laughs> All right, I think we can wrap it here. If you have any questions or topic ideas that are not Epcot or Star Wars related, you can email us at martycalled at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter under the username at martycalled or join in on the discussions in our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash martycalled. We'd also appreciate our listeners bookmarking our Amazon affiliates link over on martycalled.com. Doesn't cost you anything, but helps fund the show with purchases you're going to make anyway. Ben, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me
2: over on Twitter at Real Skipper Ben, where I spend a lot of time trying to stir up shit between Tim and other podcast hosts <laughs> on, uh, on the web. And uh, you can find my top ten columns in every issue of Attractions Magazine.
0: Josh, how do you spell your website? Uh, it's
1: Utilitors, <laughs> Just like it sounds except with two O's instead of one, because I'm dumb. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you can find me www.themeparks.com at www.themeparks on Twitter that's going to do it for this show bye everybody have a great month
2: (laughs) (laughs) talk to you next time